Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. If you can't get pumped up to race in front of a standing room only crowd, you're not human. There are trouble spots around this track that the drivers will have to deal with. I'm too old for this, it hurts too much. The crowd roars! Get that second flag, son! Yeah, baby, yeah! Hell yes! Far from the shore of Seneca Lake, you will find historic Watkins Glen International. NASCAR has come to town, and we are in for one of the most action-packed weekends of the season. We know it's going to be one of the most beautiful weekends, weather-wise, simply gorgeous here on a Friday. And there are cars on the track, the K&N Series, racing as we speak here at Watkins Glen. A busy weekend for sure. Hello, everyone, and welcome to NASCAR America. So 24 hours ago, you saw the three of us in the studio in Connecticut. These guys, I feel like you guys took the more direct route driving up here. Yep. I flew in, so if we're taking a poll at home, you guys already win that. But you also both have your fire suits with you this weekend. Racing, when we think Watkins Glen, road course racing, do you guys both get just pumped up? I mean, I love this place. It's uh, it's a racetrack. It's a historical racetrack, so that's the first thing. Every time you drive in here, you know what history is behind it, the prestige to win this race and, and just drive around this racetrack, no matter what series that you're in. And uh, more importantly, the last, especially the last about three or four years, it's been a packed house. So as a race car driver, Parker, you know, when you get a full house, yep, it's uh, it's pretty fun to drive in front of. And that's the thing for me is just the atmosphere here is incredible. I love it. It's one of the most beautiful road courses in the country. It's a beautiful place in the country to come. And I just think it's an overall great event that's really fun to be a part of. And stock cars on road courses, to me, is just fun because they don't want to do anything you want them to do. And so you end up going over curbs and smashing into each other. And I just find it some of those fun racing we do all year. That feels poetic because sometimes you two don't do what I want you to do. No, not go at all. which direction yeah. I want you to go. So this is going to be a perfect match this weekend. Xfinity Series drivers, including AJ, got out on the track today uh, for two practices. Parker was a part of those from the broadcast side. Now, the cup cars won't be on track until tomorrow, but it's still been a busy afternoon, the KNN E-Series, as we said, running its 100-mile race right now. Let's talk about those two earlier Xfinity Series practice sessions. Let's show you some highlights. And Parker... T take it away. I think Ryan Priest is up first. Right, yeah. So here he is just doing some of that curb hopping I talked about. You see the car bouncing a lot. Not sure he was probably happy about all that bouncing, but then he uses a little bit more racetrack than probably is there. And we see this throughout here, you know, those slow-mo shots of the cars just hopping curbs. That's what's so fun with those big 3,400-pound stock cars. Yeah, well, this is what you don't want to do. Cole Custer here gets the right, the left rear tire up on that curb and throttles up. Well, he gets loose and overcorrects, and he absolutely hits a ton and that's the thing here you're carrying so much speed no matter what part of the racetrack that if you hit something 
you usually hit it with a lot of force, no doubt. And he definitely was upset about that one and just didn't feel like, felt like he made the mistake. And that's taking a car away from them. They'll have to bring up their Roval primary car. And here you have the man of the hour, though. I've heard of this guy once twice. So Kyle Busch in the Xfinity Series race uh, tomorrow. And he was quickest in the first practice. Fans were a part of things, by the way, with the NASCAR fan practice hashtag. I will talk about that. That was a lot of fun. But here we see Brandon Brown. Yeah, so he's making his first road course start. Probably just got in there a little deep, got the rears locked up. He had a couple spins throughout, but he got a little better towards the end of the uh, practice there where he started to figure it out and, and not have those spins. And then here's Cole Custer getting that backup back out. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that, that's the thing. When you've got two practice sessions, so close together, they're only 40 minutes apart. So when something happens in the first practice session, the team doesn't have a lot of time to get the backup out there and get some laps, but obviously they were able to do that, which will be big for that race team to uh, at least have something to work on going in tomorrow. All right, well, no surprise that Kyle Busch was quickest in both practice sessions. Chase Briscoe, you see there, preparing for his third race in eight days. We'll tell you a little bit about that, but let's hear from some of the drivers, uh, starting with Cole Custer. No, it just got away from me. Uh, I just messed up, you know. Uh, those curves are really slick, especially off one, and uh, especially starting out the weekend, and I just tried to push it too hard and got it loose and then got behind on it. So uh, I hate that we had to start the weekend off like that. I thought our uh, Go Bowling Mustang was actually, I mean, we were pretty good. I thought it was uh, one of the best cars I've had here. But I'm sure our backup car will be good, but I just hate that uh, I put us behind like that. And it, obviously road course season is going to be a little bit tough on us. So uh, I wish I didn't do that. Uh, Got to get better, obviously. I think if I can pick up a half second, then that puts us around the sixth place position. And, you know, if we can get up there, we can do a lot more strategy stuff. So that's what we're trying to do, get the car a little bit better, get me a little bit better, and hopefully put on a good show. Uh, just trying to make consistent laps. That seems to be the hardest part, going out there and doing the same thing over and over and over again. So, How do you approach this month? I mean, with, with the three road course races we have coming up here in the month of August, what are your thoughts just looking forward to it? Really looking forward to Bristol. <laughs> Fair enough. Thanks, Christopher. <laughs> he looks a little worn out there. Uh, by the way, Chase Briscoe, we said, getting ready for his third race in eight days. Uh, he won at uh, Iowa last weekend, ran at Eldora last night in the truck series. So I want to talk about the conditions, AJ, for you out there and talk about your time in the car. But after we saw what you did, we said 24 hours ago in the studio, should we remind people? Yeah, Parker? we should definitely. We should tell them what kind of practice he was getting on Thursday before showing up here to get practice okay, in your car. take a look. You know, what I always like to do on the initial start is make a point to try to make it three wide right away. This guy I like block. I like that. Oh, we're going to get confidence. in there. Oh, 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 the rear. We're on the curb. We're oh, on the curb. Oh, we're wrecking. And we're, and we're wrecking. You won here. Is what I'm learning. <laughs> oh, I'm crashing. No, this is not good. Hey, guys. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm wow. terrible. I'm terrible. I'm done. Like you said, so I'm done. College racing, race. death wish coffee. <laughs> I will be better tomorrow. I'm sorry. All right, so let fans know, well, were I you mean, better? Today? When you set the bar that low, it, I mean, it only makes it easier to go up. And, yes. I didn't, I didn't crash so far today, knock on wood. We're going to try to keep off that tomorrow. But, yeah, that was, that was rough. I'm not going to lie. I, I actually didn't sleep. I had nightmares from that. That was a very innovative sponsor placement, by the way. But look at this. This I was, thing was pretty quick. I mean, I did. I was, I was all jacked up on Death Wish Coffee, so I had, I had a few of those this morning. Felt good about it. You know, the, the car was pretty good. College Racing's brought a, a really fast race car. Kyle Busch right now in a league of his own. So we got to keep working on it. I, I really feel like we got a top 
three, top four car, but to get to Kyle, we're going to have to make some changes. But uh, there's tomorrow. This track was slick to begin with. You know, you don't have a lot of running on it. Uh, we had the K&N cars go out this morning, so different type of rubber. So the track started coming in a little bit, but, you know, this place, it's going to be 85 degrees tomorrow, and, and when the sun just beats down on it, it's going to be slick, so it's going to be a challenge for sure for uh, – how many laps I got to do? 82? I, something like that, yeah. My TV body wasn't ready for the heat today. <laughs> it looks so a little hot. On it looks a little hot. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hydrate tonight and uh, and maybe take an ice bath and be ready to go. Ice bath? That's innovative. That's, like I'm that. lying. I hate ice. So I'm just going <laughs> to just lay in bed and just try to go to bed about 6, but you said you, 7 o'clock. Yeah, you're on TV. 6.30. You yeah. feel like a top three or four car. So what can you do? So maybe some, make some changes or something you can do as a driver to maybe get yourself up into that zip code where, where Kyle Busch is. Well, I mean, I, I this is only my second Xfinity race ever around here. And, and last year we had no practice, so we went straight into qualifying and the race. So there's definitely a lot more time I can make up in myself. And, you know, we just got to go out there and, and keep fine-tuning the race car. Kyle's... I mean, it's no shock. He's going to be the guy to beat. As soon as he was signed up for this race, we knew that team and, and him are the guy to beat. So uh, all we got to do is just get it close, and if we can do that, I can make it fun. We see I'm not afraid to crash. So <laughs> Yeah, well, we, we see that on the sim. A guy who had a crash today was Cole Custer. I believe he's out there sort of assessing his car, trying to help out a little bit. That's why this team loves this guy. They, He's the first one in the garage with this team all the time. He's always helping out the team. They respect him so much. That's why they could go to battle for him in terms of fixing this car. He's always with this team at the racetrack. Tony Stewart was calling him like, why'd you wreck my car? Yeah. You see, he just Probably. got on the, phone. Tony on the phone. See, that's funny because when I try to help put back together my car, they just tell me to get away because I'm only going to make it worse. So yeah. that's good that he can do that. I had a nickname called Bolt Breaker. So if I tightened everything till the that's, bolts that's broke. better than a yeah other nickname. No, thanks. Yeah. So old bolt breaker and ice bath over here <laughs> in the broadcast booth today at Watkins Glen. We're got we've got a lot more coming up, getting you ready for a full weekend of racing. There you see Cole Custer again with his race car. Martin Truex Jr. has been on a roll when it comes to road courses. What makes him so good at these tracks? We'll talk about that. Plus, the 48 team is here at the Glen with a new crew chief. Can he help get Jimmy Johnson? into victory lane or even into the playoffs and we'll get an inside perspective on one of Watkins Glen's best moments. These K&N Pro Series drivers know how tough Watkins Glen can be. We'll have more from Watkins Glen coming up next. Warrior. I think it's uh, accurate. Yeah. Martin Truex sure. Jr. has won three of the last five road course races, but he could have won them all. Remember last year he ran out of gas here at the Glen and then tangled with Jimmy Johnson at the Charlotte Roval. Both of those were last lap incidents. So what makes Martin Truex Jr. so good on road courses or what makes any driver good on a road course? I'll let you start since you've won on a road course. Do you want to start? Uh, oh, hey, not thanks, just Parker. Here. No, yeah. I mean it's the first time you've ever said that. So, I, you know. No, anyway, it, it's uh, 
first of all, it's he's got great equipment. So when you have great equipment, it it allows you to go out there and on a road course, especially attack the corners. If you got confidence in your race car, whether it's Watkins Glen or Sonoma, you know, Sonoma's more of a finesse racetrack. The Roval was an attack, kind of finesse in the middle racetrack, but you go out there and you can really just attack the corners. And if you can do that on a on a racetrack, any type of road course, I don't care where you're at, you can find speed. And they just have confidence. We've seen it no matter what type of racetrack that they've been on, him and Cole Pern, that they are able to go out there and figure out the setup. And once you get into a rhythm, especially around this place here at Watkins Glen, you can find more speed after more speed. And we've seen it the last couple of years. It's hard to even contend with Martin Truex Jr. And what I find interesting is that this question, sort of, I've been thinking about this actually lately because I, I felt like maybe it was just something that happened when he went to Furniture Row and now to Joe Gibbs. But then I started to look back, and I started to see that old Napa car that he drove, yep. Mike Waltrip Racing, creeping up at the front of the races here at road courses. And I started to think, you know what? He's kind of been on this trend for a while. And so I don't think the funny thing for me is that you mentioned all the things it takes to be fast on a road course. I didn't feel like those were predominantly in his driving style for so long. You know, he had a, maybe a different style than I would say would be fast on a road course. It's not as aggressive braking, that sort of thing. But obviously, he has really found a comfort level with the car, what he wants out of the car at these racetracks and is excelling really well. So I think it's, uh, you know, you can say whatever you want about what it takes to be fast at road course, but what we know re- lately is it takes doing whatever Martin Truex Jr. is yeah. doing. So i, I got to go look at his data tomorrow after practice <laughs> and be like, all right. So, because we get the SMT data, and, you know, I, I, the reason I thought about this, I go, you know, he wouldn't have been the first one I thought of to go check, but now I definitely now. think I will. Yeah. Well, and you said something, comfort level. Uh, for you, especially your win here in 2014, uh, how important is that comfort level? And this is a rhythm. I mean, road course racing is all about rhythm. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. And, and you know, that year especially, we had tested here, and I knew my race car was fast. So I could go out there and, and really felt confident to attack these corners, to, to be aggressive. The battle that I had with Marcus Ambrose, you know, I felt like no matter what, I was going to find a way to go win the race. And you talking about Martin Truex Jr. I mean, he won at Sonoma with Michael Waltrip Racing. And he was always a guy that was up front at these races. But once he went to Furniture Row, it's like they found something. And each year, his confidence has grown. And we know, no matter what you do in life, the more confidence that you have, the better you're going to do at that that job or or whatever that you're doing. So uh, he has it. And it's really for the rest of you guys to go out there and find it. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, i got to figure yeah, that one you're out. you're in the race Sunday. I am, yes. I think maybe different ends, but yeah, maybe, you know, I'll, I'll use some of the tools, some of the things I see him doing, hopefully, at my end of the field. Well, something recently that might surprise you guys, Martin recently um, joined Steve Latart for Latart on Location uh, podcast, and he shared an interesting comment on one of the most memorable moments from last season. What's the one that got away, the one you would do over again if you could? I would say Martinsville last year, you know, and that was all me. Yep. You know, I should have just knocked 22 out of the way with five to go and drove away. I mean, I was so much faster than him at that point. Yep. I gave him I, – I left the window open of opportunity for mm-hmm. him on that last corner because mm-hmm. I I was, wasn't was far enough ahead of him. Um, you know, with three, four to go, I should have just gave him a little nudge. Yep. Drove on. on. That would well, We would have won the championship. Yep. You know, that would have been two in a row. Yep. Uh, that was the biggest mistake I've ever made. 
you race car drivers just never forget. Are you surprised that it's so, I guess, still so much at the forefront? No, because of what he just said, the ramifications of that would have been, you know, he would have been going on to win a championship. So that's, you know, you look at, we always say every race matters. Well, you can look at those series of races and say, okay, that actually all played out in a way that really mattered. It changed the course of who won the championship. The thing I find interesting is what he said there about what he would have done different. I should have just knocked him out of the way, he said. I find that interesting because even when he got beside Logano, he could have just held him side by side, been the inside car, and then you had the predominant line to just knock or shove the 22 out of the way, and you would go on to win that race. It's when he got ahead of him and allowed himself to be in a vulnerable position, that's what allowed Logano to do what he did, as you see here, and get by him toward, for, at the start-finish line. So I think, you know... All right, we're Monday morning quarterbacking, or we're you know we're basically next year quarterbacking. But I think that's the part, part I found interesting is what he would have done different. Well, I mean, it's all hindsight. What Martin Truex Jr. did at that race, there was nothing wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. But he, what he thought by racing Joey as clean as he did, and he raced him clean because those last 10 laps, he could have easily went there and just drilled yep. him. One time, we knew he was so much faster and just sent him and been on his way. But he didn't do anything wrong there. He raced Joey clean and just thought, you know what? I raced him clean. Joey's probably just going to race me clean. Well, that was the problem because there was a championship on the line. Whoever won that race was going to Homestead to fight for a championship. And Joey did what he had to do. Would I have done it? Heck yeah, Parker. Would you have done it? Uh -huh. Yes, yep. you would have done it. Yep. So that's why he says, if I could go back and do it, I would know. But knowing what you know now, yeah. and that's the thing. He didn't know that then. He raced him clean, expected... I raced him clean. Joey's yeah. not going to touch me. I'm going to win this. Well, it didn't. And because of that, as you said, it cost him the championship. And I think that's why it hurts the most because he wouldn't have had to worry about Joey Logano at Homestead. And you mentioned it. He raced him clean and expected that in return. I think that's one of the reputations that Martin Truex Jr. has had for many years is that he is a very clean race car driver. And you don't hear about him being in so many tussles because of that. He gets a lot of respect on the racetrack. And he was expecting it there and didn't get it and now knows mentally all right, now yeah. I know the situation. I know what the level is that we're going to go to, and that's what we have to do going forward. Well, you can hear more from Martin Truex Jr. on the latest edition of Latarte on Location, available now on all major podcast platforms. And yeah, you guys would wreck each other coming in Hell here yeah. into the yeah. broadcast. We basically did. AJ's right. been trying to wreck me out of the uh, shot. Every time, Chase Elliott is hoping to repeat here at Watkins Glen and get some much-needed momentum entering the playoffs. When we come back, Nate Ryan joins us to talk driver number nine and other big stories. over the past couple years. All this time we've been wondering when would it happen? You don't run second eight times by luck. Yeah, baby, yeah! Hell yeah! He goes wide! When he made that mistake in one, I was too far back to capitalize. Chase Elliott is driving the race of his life. Get that second flag, son. So thrilled, so emotional, so much relief. I'm out again. The seven-time champion. He's going to give him a push. That's a pretty cool victory lap right there. It was a long time coming. After eight runner-up finishes, Chase Elliott finally tasting victory for the first time in the Cup Series last year right here at Watkins Glen. Since then, he's earned three more wins, including a victory at Talladega this past April. 
Let's welcome in Nate Ryan for some perspective on this story and other big stories this weekend. And there is sort of this theme of chase one year later. Yeah, and uh, my colleague Dustin Long at NBCSports.com, Krista, had a chance to talk to Chase in Nashville on Wednesday as part of a promotional event he was doing. And he asked him, you know, what's it like to re return to the spot of where you won your first race? Here's some photos of this where Chase uh, was in a Blackhawk above Nashville. And uh, Chase told Dustin Long that he hasn't really had a chance to dwell on it, partially because of the stretch they're in in the season right now, where Chase hasn't had a top 10 now in seven races and I don't think there's signs of outward panic for that team but I do think like they want to get things obviously back on track before the playoffs and that is what Chase Elliott told Dustin Long yes I'm looking forward to going back to Watkins Glen and you know the site of my first win but I'm a little bit worried about making sure we get things turned around from the playoffs. It's good that it's happening now rather than later in the, the season I don't want to have that bad stretch in the playoffs but I think there is a sense of urgency for that team. Did you, I want to get one comment from one of you guys, and I want to jump into another story with Chase's teammate. Well, and I, I think that's, I, I, yeah, Hendrick Motorsports, you know, has had this ebb and flow, it seems, like all season. It's very funny. Like we talked about beginning of the year, maybe they were a little off. Then they go find a way to win at Talladega. There's a talk of the Chevys turning around. Obviously, Alex Bowman goes out and wins, and now they're well, at least one car is having that stretch. And so it's just funny to watch that ebb and flow. But he said something key there. It's happening before the playoffs. That means there's time to fix it. Think of the change they just made on the 48. Yeah. That's an effort to fix things. That's all the things they're always doing because everything is about planning for the playoffs. Did you know that's where we wanted to go next? I did, actually. Oh, very nice. <laughs> Chase's teammate, Jimmy Johnson, of course, trying to make the playoffs. And he's in sort of the danger zone in the standings. As you see, currently 17th, one position shy of racing for a record eighth career championship. Now, this week, Hendrick Motorsports named 31-year-old Cliff Daniels as Jimmy's crew chief, effective immediately, replacing Kevin Mendering. Here's what Jimmy and Cliff had to say earlier this week. We made an engineer change leading into the Sonoma race. Cliff came back on the road with us, and just, just right away there was a spark there that, that I'm not sure we were aware we were kind of missing. The history that Cliff and I have together, all the years together, we were just, just hitting on a little different level, and that's something that, that we need to pursue and to do everything that we can to get this 48 back to victory lane. What's so fun about Watkins Glen and even the road courses with Jimmy, his background, he's driven so many different types of cars and trucks that uh, he's so good at adapting to the different elements, all the different turns, um, Strategically, we're going to have a plan going into the race, uh, try to execute that. But, of course, with, with stage racing and the way it can play out, you have to be willing to change and, and, and adapt your plan. So I know we'll have some contingencies there as well. A lot of excitement. There's a lot of pressure, no doubt. Um, we have a tall order. But beyond the tall order of, of what's ahead of us for the next five weeks, we have the highest expectations that the 48 um, knows we should be meeting, and that's the history of the 48, and that's what we're here to do. Cliff Daniels becomes the youngest active crew chief at NASCAR's highest level. He not only brings an engineering background, but is also a former driver himself competing in late models before he chose his current path. Now, I guess a question, Nate, with the playoffs on the line, is this the right move at the right time for the well, 48? Jimmy Johnson certainly feels like it is. I mean, and I think that he's thinking about it not just in terms of making the playoffs, but beyond. I mean, he said that this week that this is about we need to make the change now. We're out of time to try to improve ourselves, to try to win an eighth championship. So he's not just looking at the next five races. He's looking at getting in the playoffs and then the final 10 and having a shot, even with a crew chief who, again, will be parachuting into his first cup race ever as a crew chief and calling road course strategy. And that's, that's going to be a challenge. But Cliff Daniels feels as if they can go back and look at the notes that Chase Elliott won with at this race last year, and they feel like they can execute strategy that way. Yeah, I mean, and it really comes down to, I don't want to say 
it's a Hail Mary, but I mean, it's something that they know that what has been happening this year, there was a stretch for Jimmy that you thought, okay, it's all turning around. Even at Pocono, they won a stage, but in general, how he's been running, they're missing something, and you're not going to change a seven-time champion. Jimmy, when the car is right, can go out there and still win races and a championship, so they know that for them to have an opportunity to go out there and make the playoffs, it's now or never. They're only 12 points back. I mean, we you feel like the world's crashing <laughs> yeah. down on them. They're only 12 points back. They could go out there and get those 12 points in just stage wins or high stage finishes. So, But we see where he's been running. It's been a constant kind of mid-pack, and they know it's we got to do it at Watkins Glen because we only have five or you know four races to go after this, and it, it, it has to happen. Well, you mentioned he might he's parachuting in for his first week. He could be parachuting out. Isn't he on baby watch? He and his wife expecting their very first yeah. child in about Do a week. Within the next two weeks. And, uh, yeah, they've got it set up that he could leave at any time. But, you know, Hendrick has a very deep bench where if he were to leave, yeah. they could probably pull a, a Darian Grubb, who, of course, has a lot of crucifix experience. I think this is such an innovative move, and we talked about it yesterday in terms of just the fact of we're starting to learn where that demarcation line is, right? Now it's five races out. The team says, all right, this is a last-ditch effort. Not maybe a Hail Mary, but it's an effort to say we got to change something. And I think that's what's really interesting here, and I think you'll have a lot of teams out there watching this, watching what occurs here. If they really do turn things around, if suddenly that 48 goes from, as AJ said, mid-packed, if suddenly we're talking about him winning races again, this will be talked about amongst the entire garage to say, that was interesting. How did that work? How did they do that? So uh, I just think... Overall, this is a very innovative move and, and a shocking move, but something that they feel like is the best way to get this car in the playoffs because that's a franchise car. Yeah. I mean, that is a car that you think about is a franchise in itself. It has to be in the playoffs. Well, and the fact that Chase Elliott's in, Alex Bowman's in, and William Byron has all the momentum right now. Yeah, a lot of eyes are going to be on that 48 team this weekend. But there's another story, uh, maybe not as big of a headline, but Corey LaJoy has got some cool things going on this yeah, weekend. Yeah, really cool story here, Krista. He's giving up his salary for this month so that his car this weekend can be sponsored by Samaritan's Feet which is a charitable organization that sends out footwear to children around the world who are in extreme poverty. Corey LaJoy decided to do this after he took a mission trip to Haiti last year and obviously saw firsthand what they are experiencing. And of course, he jokes, you know, he's not the most well-paid cup driver in the garage. And uh, his giving up the salary is not going to cover putting the sponsor on the car this week. And the team is going to make up some of that difference. But I mean, what a great gesture, obviously, that he's doing it. Really cool. And uh, he, he, he may have used some high-pressure sales tactics to get me to uh, donate, but I'm going to be on that car somewhere. So you haven't I'm, found out yet? I don't know where okay. yet. He said the back bumper, but I don't know. I told him, hey, look, I'm looking forward to passing myself for a good cause So on the racetrack. And <laughs> I know a lot of people have come up to me in the last, I'd say, last couple days since he announced that and have told me, I'm donating. I'm putting my name on that car. So it's a really cool initiative. Well, yeah, the response to Corey LaJoy and his goal of helping Samaritan's Feet has been pretty outstanding. In fact, Corey shared this update with us earlier. <laughs> guys Corey the joy here with uh mason st hilaire doing guys mason is the general manager of go fast and was a big uh, component of getting the samaritan's feet car on the racetrack this weekend i just can't say enough about all the support we have over 850 names going on the car and we're actually going to go to the track tonight after we get off the plane unload the car and start writing all those names down because 900 names is a lot and i hope it can surpass a thousand uh by sunday and I'm gonna keep writing names on that car until I actually physically get in the car to start the race. So um, thank you guys for all the support on social media. Thank you guys on NBC for uh, supporting this thing and keep 
keep pushing it because uh, the Samaritan's Feet's a great cause and they're in dire need of everybody's support to try to help put shoes on the feet of those in need. So um, keep supporting and if you keep giving before the race, your name's going to be on the car and hopefully we can get that thing a heck of a ride. One more thing for a driver to do, yeah. SamaritansFeet.com, there you see backslash LaJoy. It's a lot of writing. So we'll have to keep a lookout, AJ. And I mean, this is a this is a tough racetrack to, to make sure that your hands are tired before you ever get in the <laughs> race car. So everybody at home, keep donating so you can see Corey LaJoy just arms are limp before he ever gets in the race car. All right. Thanks, Nate. Before you go, look, do you have a 15-second, I'm not going to hold you to 15 seconds, but a quick pitch <laughs> for this week's NASCAR and NBC podcast? I do. If you want to hear the incredible story about the what was once the most influential NASCAR website in history, probably still the most famous website in NASCAR history, the story of jski.com, which started in a college computer lab and grew into 100 million page views annually, uh, check out the NASCAR wow. NBC podcast. It's a pretty cool story. Can't wait to listen to that. All right. That's why I always out. found the news on if I was getting fired or not. That's, where you <laughs> That's what everybody says. Yeah. That's what all the drivers on your beat say. <laughs> where the rumors are. All right. There you go. NASCAR and NBC podcast available again on all major podcasting platforms. Thanks, Nate. Looking forward to all of Nate's coverage this weekend. You're going to find some of the biggest race fans anywhere right here in New York. And they are proud supporters of their local short tracks. We'll take you to one of them next on NASCAR America. Welcome back. The action continues here at the Glen for the KNN East KNN oh, Pro Series. They're going you everywhere. Can watch all season like, long right here on NBC. See, I mean, they make it work. See, I got to take some notes there because that didn't work there yesterday on the show. Mm. Of course, no wheel hop. NBC Sports, the exclusive home to all NASCAR KNN Pro Series races. You know, the Empire State is next up on our 50 states in 50 days tour. And we're going to go to Bethel Motor Speedway. It's a quarter-mile paved oval in White Lake, New York. That's about 90 miles from the Big Apple. Parker is shaking his head. I got that right. And just yep. around the corner from the site of the original Woodstock. Next week, the track hosts the Tie-Dye Tornado event to honor Woodstock's 50th anniversary. Tomorrow, the groovy fun starts with Legend Stock, where the winners receive special tie-dye guitar trophies. Two of NASCAR's rising stars already have Bethel guitars in their trophy cases, Daniel Hemrick mm. and William Byron. Wow. That's cool. Was that, that, cool. La was that last year? That yeah, looks well, like William looks year. like, yeah, yeah. yeah. the same age. They do that last year? <laughs> you were nodding, though. You you know Bethel. No, well, it's just this area. This area, mm -hmm. you know, upstate New York. I mean, it's just a cool area. I've been around the Thousand Islands a couple times when I was growing up. You see some of what's up here, or Thousand Lakes, I'm sorry, Thousand Lakes region, I think they call it. But, uh, yeah, you see how beautiful it is up here. It's just an amazing place, and they have a lot of races. I passed two short tracks on my way up here. I didn't even know one existed. I was like, wow, I've never even seen that track. So uh, I just think there's they love racing up here, obviously very close to the Canadian border, which they love racing as well. They love NASCAR racing, so we get a lot of Canadians that come down here for Watkins Glen, and it's just overall a very cool atmosphere to see these people hanging out, having a good time. And this has become, funny enough, like the party destination in NASCAR in some respects. I hear all the time people are talking, what's the best party in NASCAR? What's the best party in NASCAR? And always Talladega comes up. But like lately, people keep mentioning Watkins Glen as being a crazy party. So I think, you know what? Maybe some of that old Woodstock flair is seeped back yeah. in and people are, uh, you know, getting down up here. I mean, 
I'm down for a party. Yeah. I might, you know, try to go win you, tomorrow, and then barely, maybe I just... You barely I, made it out of Indianapolis. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, I do. You know, not having to race every weekend, it's, you know, there's go out there and experience the infield. So this is a racetrack, and, you know, talked about it earlier in the show that when I always do the, the, the ride around the racetrack on the, the back of the trucks, I mean, it's just a packed house. They're energetic. I always go back to the story about the year that I won. We had to stop on a red flag on the back straightaway. We're sitting there, and I just kept hearing, AJ sucks. And I looked over, and it was a bunch of Australian fans. It was the fan club of Marcus Ambrose. So they just, for whatever it was, like 29 minutes, just kept just ragging on me. And Marcus was in there. You could see him pumping the crowd up. So I made sure after the win, I did a burnout right next oh. to them. <laughs> gave them one of one of these, but uh, nice. but that's what it's all about. You get fans from everywhere now. It's not just yeah. from New York or, or Canada. You get the the people love this racetrack, love what this is all about, and it's just a good energy. Yeah. That's an awesome story. Well, I didn't know that one. I want to tell you a little bit about a driver who is from this area. Last night, the Truck Series was at Eldora for such a great show, the annual Dirt Derby, and a New York racing veteran from this area came home first. Winning a race at Eldora, it's iconic. We are two races away from the playoffs, but Stuart Friesen's got a lot to lose if he would happen to run out of fuel. I mean, he's on the playoff bubble, but he's going to stay out. From the cockpit said, I want to stay on the racetrack and go for it. So many fans around the country with it tonight is the night. Two to go in the third derby. The wait is over for Stuart Friesen. He has won at Eldora. Finally, he gets career victory number one. Everybody that came to the Dirt Mob, I'd holler and said, man, I thought this was the week. Today, this is the day, and today, is, this is the week. Yes, it was. And we want to welcome Stuart Friesen to the show. Now, how is he in Watkins Glen, New York, when he just won at Eldora, the, the miracle of FaceTime, calling in? Tell us about, not just racing at Eldora, which is awesome, but winning that race. Oh, wow. It was uh, just so special. You know, that's that's where I started. Uh, you know, we started the, the whole NASCAR deal, uh, with Halmar and, and in the truck series, you know, four years ago. So, uh, we came back the second year and ran second and then we were third last year and, uh, did everything but win it. And then, you know, this year we were able to, uh, to close the deal, uh, make a little bit of a gutsy call on, on the, on the pit pit strategy. Um, and, uh, and it all worked out. Stuart, this is Park Klugerman. I, I got to say that you and I kind of shared a similar trajectory on our way to our first Truck Series win. I had a lot of second-place finishes as well. I know that had to eat at you, but when you were in victory lane finally winning and your kids up there having that great reaction, what was going through your mind? I mean, was it relief at that point? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, just tons, <laughs> tons of relief. Uh, he partied a little hard, so he's, he's sleeping right now. But, uh, yeah, yeah, we're on our way home and it was just, just a lot of relief and just so thankful for, for all the, you know, modified owners that, that gave me a shot over the years and, and got us to this level. Uh, thanks to Chris Larson and Helmar and, you know, all our guys that, that just stuck with me, you know, working so hard this year, you know, you know, the work it takes and, and, you know, to, to, to feel the truck and compete. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just about the whole group, you know, it's just a, such a great group effort. Yeah, I mean, speaking of the the big block modifieds, as you were just talking about there, you're a legend in New York, winning so many races and so many championships. So to make the move to NASCAR and, and specifically to the truck series, like, you know, I came from IndyCar, so it, it was like trying to ride a bike and learn how to ride it again. So what was the biggest challenges for you to face just to get used to a truck on pavement? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like exactly. It was. Uh, it's still racing, but you're relearning your whole skill set, and uh, that was that was big. You know, the way these races, you know, um, unfold, and the way the pit strategy works, and the way these things are set up. Uh, is unlike anything I've ever done, you know, in, in racing, you know, it's totally different. So, uh, learning the front suspensions and learning, you know, how to, how to work your way through practice and learning what you need to have, you know, at the end of a, a 200 lap race, um, has been, you know, two years in the making and, and we've been close. We've, we've, we've had a lot of speed this year. We had a lot of speed last year. Um, you know, our alliance with GMS has been, has been huge and, uh, you know, we've, we've been so close to, to, to finish one out and winning a race on pavement, but I think it was kind of fitting. We, we did it on the dirt first, and now we can, uh, you know, really focus on the next one going to Michigan and, and next week, and, and we'll just keep rolling with it. And it seems appropriate that we're talking to you while we're in Watkins Glen, New York, because you're from Niagara on the Lake, just across the border, and you've raced a whole Ooh. lot in this area. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm a, a dirt modified guy, and, um, you know, the, the upstate, you know, I grew up in. Uh, Southern Ontario and then racing in Western New York and uh, that's that's modified country so you guys are in it right now and uh, you know right around the corner is, is uh, Ola Speedway uh, we had to win there a couple weeks ago and um, that's that's where it's at for big block modified racing so there's there's a lot of racing and, and racing is alive and well in, in New York State. So I just got to ask you one last question I see the reflection in your glasses are you going to drive that motorhome wherever you are when you're leaving right now do you normally drive your own motorhome? Yeah, uh, we, we rented this one uh, for this trip for Pocono and Eldora. Uh, we're actually at a, at a truck stop uh, just about to hear EPA and uh, we're on our way home right now. Nice, nice. Well All done. All right. Well, congratulations again on the golden shovel, your first win in the truck series. Hi. Hey there. All right. <laughs> Got the whole family, and of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't. Thanks again, Stuart, if we didn't leave fans with another look at your son, Parker, and his great reaction That's after Daddy's win at Eldora. That is awesome. Great yeah, name choice as well. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks, right, uh, thanks so much. I don't know where you learned to do that, but uh, he's definitely yeah, partying right. out right now. We love it. We love it. Little guy's right, excited. Guys. Daddy wins. Thanks, Stuart. And it seems like everything has happened here. Oh, look, he is a little tuckered out. Oh. All right, rightfully so. Need some death wish coffee. <laughs> no. <laughs> Don't give him that. <laughs>
the chant, AJ Suck. <laughs> and I was just like, and Marcus is there pumping him up. He's like, and I was like, all right, I'm going to win this thing. And you thought he was in I'm your I'm going to burn it down. No. Yeah, you showed him. No, there's too much in this head. Nothing can get inside can't, it. Can't finish but that's cool. A little behind the scenes story of why that win maybe meant a little more. Yeah. A little story you didn't know until you watched NASCAR America. Well, David Hoots watched many of the Glenn's greatest moments during his long tenure as NASCAR Cup Series race director. But for David, one moment stands out. He talked about it with Jeff Burton in the latest installment of Hoots Tales. So David, you came here as a kid and sat in seats right there and, and watched races and you've seen countless amount of races in your time. There have to be some that just stick out to you saying, wow, that was a great race. Well, I think there's several and then sometimes I, I question my memory, but uh, Marcus Ambrose and Keselowski up at Washington's Glen, the last handful of laps, they were racing from guardrail to guardrail, through the dirt, through the chicanes. Keselowski slides wide, he's in the grass, Ambrose is in the grass, battling for the lead and the win. That was the oil on the racetrack, wasn't there, there some oil on the track? There were some claims to some oil on the racetrack. <laughs> Me being a, a good NASCAR official would never let them race like that, but they were going all over the racetrack. Bobby Labonte has blown the rear end on the 47 car. The track was very slippery last time. Here comes Keselowski. He gets into Kyle. Kyle spins in turn two. The leaders tiptoeing through the slippery racetrack. They're on the back straightaway, and it's Keselowski the leader. Doing everything they could to get traction to, to pass each other. Shows you can have hard competitive racing. Here comes Ambrose way wide. With contact. Nobody did anything wrong, but it, it just showed the drive and the desire of those drivers to come across that line. Keslowski trying to pull up alongside, but Marcus Ambrose for the second year in a row will win. Man, I can't believe it. And that's the thing about every single race. It's its own little story wrapped into whatever happened that weekend. But when you guys watch those images back, you guys are nodding. You remember that, what happened. Very vividly. And it's one of the best races I think I've ever seen in my entire life. And I remember watching it thinking, I can't believe this is occurring right here. Because it was just so cool seeing them swap positions the way, the way they were. How that all went down. I mean, if there was oil on the track, I think after this, there was a lot of discussion. Should we just throw some oil slick down every now and then? Late when no one knows? Because this was so cool. How much of the track they were using, how they were bumping each other out of the way, but not wrecking each other. Although maybe Kyle Busch has a little different opinion <laughs> on that one. But these two right here, they didn't do that. And I just thought that was one of the most incredible races. And I think this was really as we started to see road course racing become very popular in this sport. It was around this time when we started to see races like this and realize this was possible at road courses. And suddenly, I feel like now you talk to fans and they really look forward to going road course racing. Yeah, I, I was watching at home as well. And it, I mean, very rare do I get excited for other people that are especially in the sport that I'm in. But it was one of those things that as a driver, watching how hard they were driving and knowing, okay, the Kyle thing got spun a little bit. Yeah, he might have chopped down a little bit as well. Like there was... But between BK and, and Ambrose just going at it and just, like, throwing haymakers every corner, <laughs> Nuts. but not wrecking each other, as you said, it just, I was pumped after the race, and, and I wanted to be there. I was not racing that race. I wanted to be there, but I had so much fun watching those last couple of laps. It honestly made me forget what I was going through at the time, and it was just one of those races that, I mean, we, we still talk about it. We're going to talk about it for the next 50, 100 years. I mean, that was one of those races that will just live in history. And I agree. It's kind of what started putting 
the road course racing, especially and at Watkins Glen. I mean, we've been here for so long, but it's like everybody all of a sudden like, wow, yeah, we can have amazing races. And this is why I think the how this this is a packed house. Mm-hmm. From from that weekend on, it's just grown, it seems like. Definitely. So what are we going to see this weekend? Right now, the packed wow. house has had to yeah. clear the stands. Yes. You hear that? There's lightning in the area. The K&N Series race has been halted. We're going to wrap things up from Hopefully here. Hopefully we'll tell be you safe. I got to hide. Help. Help. <laughs> what to look out for. Maybe right now, maybe tomorrow. That's coming up. We're going to call this race a little differently than we normally do. We're going to call it radio style. The Essence will be covered by Mike Bagley. Fans jumping up and down, yelling, screaming, losing their minds here at Watkins Glen. Dale Earnhardt Jr. will have the inner loop and into turn five. Truex is definitely putting the pressure off. Jeff Burton has turn six and seven. Trouble right in front of me. Joey Logano in the sand. This race comes down to these two drivers right now. Headed up the back straightaway. Radio Style is back for this weekend's action here at Watkins Glen. You'll hear it tomorrow for the Xfinity Series race. That's 3 p.m. Eastern over on NBC. Our coverage starts in the morning here on NBCSN, 10.30 a.m. And since we left you, we have sirens and strobe lights. <laughs> yeah, it really yeah. is like Woodstock 50 Your fire ago. alarm is not going off. That's happening here. We want you to feel like you're really here. Oh, there we go. This is the full experience. The rain has moved in. Some sort of lightning. Things are going crazy over here. It's crazy. Also, what's crazy, Kyle Busch leading those practices, Xfinity Series. Uh, you were third and fourth. Yeah, that, You've that, got a fast that's, car. That's not crazy. That's, that's, that's normal. <laughs> that's normal. Yeah, Sorry. So I'm we're trying to work build on. up the drama. The good thing about this beeping that's going on is... It counteracts the eight or nine voices that are already in my head, so at oh. least it distracts me. So maybe you just play that on my radio tomorrow, and I won't lose my mind. Yeah, you know what you're not going to see tomorrow, but I'm going to be watching this, and I think it's really cool, is our new bat cam that we have on the in the bus stop. This is such a cool shot. It flies along with the cars and then goes with them into the bus stop. We've seen some amazing shots. Here, Josh Berlicki going through there, bouncing through the curbs, getting sideways. I just love this because the car slowed down exactly to its speed. This is the best use of a bat cam I've ever seen. I In practice today, I couldn't get over how cool hey, it was. Uh, could you send me some of that footage from Kyle? Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be faster you, than you. Yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah. it was. That's so all let, I just say. let me get it. All right. Yeah, Do you sure. guys know what I will be keeping a lookout for tomorrow? You always see those fans with the sunburn in there. So this oh, was today. Oh, I man. took this photo leaving the uh, the infield tunnel. So he has an 18 on his back with a cro- with a line through it. No 18. What you don't see is on his front, he has a number nine. Oh, wow. Chase okay. Fan. All right. All sunburn. Right. So I'm going to try to find him tomorrow and yeah. maybe get you a, a better picture. That's going to do it for us here on NASCAR America. We're going to get out of the building now. returns tomorrow morning at 1030 Eastern with cup practice. Uh, lightning detected. Implement your safety plan now. That's what we're going to do. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz & Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.